Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. How much different would your life look if all you had to do was believe in or about something to actually gain the benefits of that thing that you believe in? For example, think about your health, nutrition, exercise, your diet. What if, think about this, what if all you had to do was just believe the science about health and nutrition and diet and suddenly you had all the benefits of that? Wouldn't that be great? Any takers on that? Yeah, no more Weight Watchers and Nutrisystems commercials every January, you know, after the first of the year. You know, no more uh, Weight Watchers, uh, no more Legacy, Genesis Health Clubs. They would all go out of business. Right. No one would be overweight. Nobody would have any addictions. What about financially? What would your life look like financially if that were true? What if simply believing in wise money management was enough, but you didn't actually have to apply any of those principles to be debt-free and have money in the bank? Wouldn't that be great? Dave Ramsey would have to find a new ministry, wouldn't he? Everyone would be out of debt, have money in the bank. See, our problem, our, problem, our problem isn't lack of information. We know, pretty much we know what we need to know, and we pretty much believe everything that we need to believe. But the truth is, and you know this, knowing and believing doesn't really make any difference, does it? Again, if that were true, you know, if that were true, then, then the, the, the size on the, the label on the back of my jeans would say 3232 instead of 3832. <laughs> Our relationships would be better. We'd be better off financially. We'd be healthier. And you know what? Believe it or not, Jesus actually knew this. Jesus actually knew. In fact, he taught in such a way that underscored that truth, that simply believing is not enough, which is why, now think about this, which is why he didn't spend a lot of time just trying to get people to believe the things that he said. He actually invited them to do the things that he said, because he knew what we know, that doing is what makes the difference. That's why when we believe but don't do, our dreams don't come true. I stole that, but you can retweet it if you want. Let's all say that together, okay? When we believe but don't do, our dreams don't come true, right? Today, we're in part two of our series, Faithful, Fueling Your Faith, in a world on empty, and we talked last week about how Jesus wants us to have this amazing, steadfast, unshakable faith that we, that we would live our, live, live our lives and, and go to our jobs and, 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 and approach our relationships, how we manage our money, all that stuff, we would do that, putting our trust in Jesus, the object of our faith. In fact, last week we talked about how there were only two things, this, this is pretty amazing when you think about it, there were only two things that Jesus marveled at. One was faith, and the other was the lack of faith. The same thing, but on each end of the spectrum. See, this explains why Jesus' invitation wasn't just to believe, but to follow. He said, follow me, because follow is relational. It, it's not just active, it's interactive. But over the years, the church has uh, unfortunately kind of dumbed that down by focusing more on belief than action. And if you grew up in the church, you probably heard Jesus said to believe in me more than you heard that Jesus said, follow me, right? Right? I know that was my case. Yeah. I mean, I heard a lot, but you know, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. 
I mean, the pastor might have said, Jesus said to follow me, but I didn't hear that very much. I remember hearing them believe in me. But see, it's easy why the church would embrace this subtle change to kind of dumb it down. Because you think about it, it's a whole lot easier to believe Jesus than to follow him, right? Is this, is this, am I right? Uh, it's a whole lot easier to believe in Jesus than it's a lot safer. It's less demanding. It's more comfortable. The problem with just believing in Jesus is it doesn't demand or require anything of us and ends up leaving us exactly where we are, unchanged. That's why Jesus didn't just invite people to believe in him so they could go to heaven when they died. He invited people to live their life in a way that reflected the, their trust in him. So the invitation was for people to live their lives in such a way that reflected their confidence in God because like us, like us, God is most honored by our active, living, still hurting, still don't understand why, still have a lot of questions in spite of faith. You're most honored when you're supposed to be somewhere at 7 o'clock and it's 7.10 and you haven't shown up yet, but your spouse or someone says, you know what, I don't know why they're not here. I'm sure they've got a good explanation, but I know that they're going to be here. I know that they're going to be here, right? You're most honored when there's a gap between what people expected of you and what they experienced from you, and they decided to trust, they decided to place their faith in you in that gap. And that principle works with God as well. And when you read through the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus was constantly putting his disciples in situations that nudged them, pushed them out of their comfort zone, and compelled them to trust him before they knew the outcome. Why? Again, because God is most honored by our living, active, sometimes grinded out day-to-day, living in the real world, confidence and faith in him. Even, listen, even when it looks like he's not paying attention or he's not going to come through. And when we do that, when we do that, that's when our faith intersects with God's faithfulness. And that, dear ones, is when our faith begins to get traction and begins to blow up in a good way, in a good way in a good way. Last week, I referenced some uh, folks in our church who encountered some very difficult, uh, even, even horrific, traumatic circumstances, and yet in spite of, of their hurt and pain, in spite of all the unanswered questions, they continue to show up here week after week on Sundays, and they serve, and they love, and they minister, and they trust Jesus. And as they do, as they fill that gap between what they know about God's faithfulness and their real-world experiences of hurt and pain and unanswered questions with trust, that's when their faith really gets boosted. It doesn't happen overnight, but little by little, step by step, day by day, as they put their faith in Jesus, God is growing their faith. Another great example of, of, of how this works is seen in the lives of another family in our church. Ryan and Jessica Whalen, who uh, went through uh, an unimaginable situation a few years ago when they lost their son, Brex, in a, in a tragic house fire. You know, you talk about getting your faith put to the test. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, everything about that situation screams, if there's a God, then why? Why? And if you were to ask Ryan and Jessica today, they would tell you they still have questions. They would tell you it still hurts. They would tell you it still seems so unfair. 
Yet week after week, month after month, year after year, they continue to come here and they love on people and they serve and they want another other people. And as they do, as they exercise their faith and it intersects with God's faithfulness, their faith grows and grows and grows. They begin to do those, those things that the Apostle Paul talks about, this promise of comfort that, that God offers us when we go through difficult times. It's found in 2 Corinthians 1.4. In the message paraphrase, it says this. Paul says, he, talking about God, he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Less than two years after Brex's passing, 22 months actually, got a call to do the funeral of, of three children who were tragically killed in a horrific auto accident. As we typically do at the church, that if I'm doing a funeral, we'll, we'll offer to provide a dinner for the family after the graveside service, which we did in this case for the, the Bowden family. And guess who were the first two people to come up to me and say, Pastor, we want to help serve at that dinner? Ryan and Jessica Whalen. Why? Because they wanted to help? Absolutely. But also because they know that as they continue to trust Jesus, that that was another opportunity to let their faith intersect with God's faithfulness. And when that happens, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. That's when your faith really begins to get traction. Right? Not only did their faith grow, God used them to minister comfort to another family who experienced their own unimaginable trauma. So Jesus didn't just invite people to simply believe. He invited people to follow him to do something. To begin each day by answering this question, and this would be a good exercise for you, by the way. Before you walk out the, morning, walk out the house each morning, ask yourself this question. What would I do if I was confident that God is with me? What would I do if I was confident that God was with me? Not what, not what would I think, not what would I believe, but what would I do today? How would I respond? How would I react? What would I avoid? What conversation would I begin? What conversation would I avoid? Who would I ask to forgive me? Who would I forgive? If I was confident God was with me. So you're here this morning, you're looking to increase your faith or just maybe looking for faith, period. Maybe you used to have faith, but you lost it somehow. Wherever you're at in your faith journey, I really believe that this series will be helpful to you. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some, some faith principles, faith catalysts, five things that I believe will help ignite and strengthen our faith. Faith that stands the test of time throughout all seasons of life. Faith that works itself out in the real world that shows up at work, that shows up in marriage, that shows up in trauma, that shows up in fear, that kind of faith. And the first faith principle we're going to look at this morning is this one right here, practical teaching. Practical teaching. Whenever you hear someone share about their faith journey, they usually share about the time when things really began to click for them was the first time that someone opened up the Bible to them or, or explained the Bible to them in a way that they could really understand it and begin to apply it to their lives. For me, this happened shortly after I had uh, come back to the Lord. Someone invited me to a, a Bible study. Um, it might have been my sister, I don't remember who it was, uh, but it was at a house over in Lawrence, and I can tell you the address. It was 1538 Tennessee Street in Lawrence, Kansas. I really didn't know what to expect, um, but when I walked into the house, it looked like a Woodstock reunion. 
had all these hippies sitting around. Some of them had guitars. Some of the gals had flutes and were playing. Someone was sitting at the piano. And, uh, and they were singing these songs out of the Bible. I'm not so sure that, Brad, you might not have been there with your harmonica that day, uh, one of the few worship bands in the world that has a harmonica player. But I don't know if you were there or not, but you might have been. But they sang some songs out of the Bible, which was totally different for me because, see, I was used to Southern Baptist worship where you open up the hymn and sing the first, second, and fourth stanza. Right? Everyone skips over the third. I don't know what the third stanza did to this someone, but everyone skips over the third stanza. I was used to that kind of worship, but this was totally different. As strange as it was, I was, I, I was, like, I was strangely attracted to it. I mean, this was like kind of, this was totally different. After they sang a few songs, there was a guy, one of the guys would have the guitar, long hair and a beard. He set the guitar down, picked up his Bible, and uh, he began reading a passage and began teaching. I didn't know it at the time, but that was Bob Mendelson, same guy who was here a couple weeks ago and did the Christ in the Passover uh, presentation. But that is the first time. And I remember thinking, man, I, I got home that night. I was like, man, I, I've never really heard the Bible explained like that before. And it, you know, it, 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 he presented it in a way that I thought, you know, I could actually do some of this stuff. Since I had accepted Christ as a child, I sort of always believed in God and, and Jesus, but I didn't know what that looked like in the real world. I, I didn't know how to take it home, how to take it to school, how to take it to work with me. So for the first time, someone explained the Bible in a way that I knew what to do with what I believed. And that's when my faith really got some traction and began to take off. And apparently, a few other people's faith was growing as well because over the next few years and over the last about 40 years, that Bible study grew and grew and grew until it became what is now Rev City Church. It became the mustard seed and is now Rev City Church. The point being, one thing that helps ignite and grow our faith is when we begin to understand and apply biblical truths and principles in our daily lives. Something that we seek to do each week here at Family Church. We try to make God's word practical for you. That's the goal. It maybe doesn't always come across, but trust me, that, that, that is the goal. We want to give you handles for God's word so you can apply it. Why? Because when our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness, it's a game changer. That's when your faith really begins to take off. Active faith plus God's faithfulness equals big faith. When we actually do what the Bible says we should do, when we read in the Bible where Jesus said to forgive one another as he has forgiven you, and you actually do that for the first time maybe, right? As hard as it might be, as scary as it might be, when your faith begins to get some traction, that's when it starts growing. When you begin putting God first in your life in terms of your time, treasure, and talent. Maybe begin each morning by setting aside a few minutes to spend with God in, in, in Bible reading and prayer. Right? Maybe it might be you know, surrendering those unique gifts that God's given you, surrendering those and using them for God's kingdom at work in a, in a local church. It might be in, in, your, in how you manage your money and in your giving or tithing. You might, you might, your first step might be to become a percentage giver instead of just dropping a 20 in the box every now and then, becoming a percentage giver, a tither. And when you begin to trust God in these different areas of your, your life, your faith intersects with God's faithfulness. And again, that's when your faith begins to take off. And on the other side, think about this, on the other side of that decision, when you experience the faithfulness of God, your faith gets bigger. It gets bigger. 
The best way to experience God is to experience his faithfulness on the other side of an act of obedience. And remember, trust. Remember this? We talked about this last week. Trust is the currency of any relationship, especially when you're talking about a relationship with an invisible God. I think probably the best example of this is found in Jesus' most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Both Matthew and Luke recorded it for us. If you've read through the Sermon on the Mount before, you you know it, it can be challenging. Not because it's hard to understand. In fact, quite the opposite. The Sermon on the Mount is challenging because it's so stinking practical. You look at the things Jesus taught there. They're doable for everyone. They're just, they're just hard to do, right? The essence of this teaching by Jesus was to introduce a, a new worldview, a, a kingdom of God worldview, a view that in many ways went cross-grained to what the people knew and how they lived their lives at that time in history. Because remember, when Jesus stepped onto the pages of history, he did so at a time when might makes right. A time when, when the people with the power and resources leveraged their power and resources for their own benefit. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically flipped that script and said, look, if you have power and resources, you should leverage that for the sake of others who have less power and fewer resources. So, <laughs> excuse me, so that if someone asked, asked for a favor, you should do the favor and then some. So that if someone asked you uh, for some money, you know, give them, but then give them more than what they asked for. In other words, Jesus taught open-ended kindness, uh, open-ended generosity, open-ended forgiveness. And if these ideas weren't radical enough, Jesus also taught that you can't even be right with God if you have something against your brother or sister. Because at that point, at that time in history, people thought you could do that. People thought that the relationship with God was totally different than the relationship with other people. So yeah, they could have something against a brother or sister. And so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right with God. And Jesus comes along and says, no. No, that's not true. If you've got something against your brother, you need to go to the altar, take care of that, and then you can go and worship God. So almost everything that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount was both countercultural and upside down from what people were used to. There's a story in the book of Acts. It describes a time when the apostle Paul and Silas were traveling through Thessalonica, and, and, and they stayed for a few days, and they were teaching in the synagogue. And some people were getting saved. Some Jews were getting saved. So those people getting saved, they were going out into the city and, and, and sharing the gospel as well. Well, this upset some of the religious folks. And so uh, they, they had uh, uh, some of these people uh, arrested. And uh, it says in Acts 17, 6, it says they, talking about those authorities, dragged Jason and some brethren, some of those that had become believers, to the rulers of the city crying out, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. No, they didn't turn the world upside down. They were turning it right side up. But see, when you've been upside down for so long and that becomes your normal, when you go right side up, it looks upside down. Does that make sense? When you've been upside down for so long, you get right side up, it looks upside down. Same thing happened here. That's the same principle that played out here a couple years ago when we started making changes in how we approached ministry here at the church. Because, you know, we had always been what I thought, you know, uh, we're all about, you know, reaching the lost. Every church says they want to reach the lost until you start reaching the lost, right? But seriously, every, you know, you talk, you want to reach. And we were, we were inviting. The problem was we weren't welcoming. We would invite, but when they got here, you know, we weren't welcoming because, you know, we were creating an environment that were, you know, for people that had been to church for 20 years. And there were people coming that hadn't been to church either ever or in a long time, 
So we started, we started, you know, getting right side up, and wouldn't you know it, some of the religious folks said, no, no, you know, you're turning things upside down. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're turning things right side up. We've been upside down for so long, now that we're right side up, it seems like upside down. No wonder, no wonder the church came along and dumbed it down to simply believe things because, you know, look, those of you who embrace this truth, those of you who have actually done some of these things that Jesus said to do, you know that it's benefited you, don't you? You know, right? If you, when you live these things out on a daily basis, you know there's, there's a reward on the other side, and you know it's made your life better. But when you're first introduced to these principles, it's scary. It's scary. It, it seems risky. But your heavenly father is saying, trust me. Trust me. here. Give, give me a chance. And, and here's the truth. You won't ever experience Jesus fully until you trust him completely. Let's say that again. You won't ever experience Jesus fully until you learn to trust him completely. And so Jesus concludes this famous sermon with a promise. But it's a promise in the form of a story, a parable. And if you grew up in the church, you probably learned this story in the form of a song, but I would encourage you not to sing it. So here we go, Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and believes them? Nope. Everyone who hears these words of mine and remembers them? Nope. Everyone who hears these words of mine and writes them down? Nope. Everyone who hears these words of mine and agrees with them. No. Okay, I know what it is. Everyone who hears these words of mine and is convicted by them. No. Jesus concludes the sermon with this statement. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, a wise person. And what does a wise person do? They build their house on the rock. Those who understand the relationship between what they do today and what happens tomorrow. Those who, 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 live, who live as if the, the, the choices and decisions they make today actually impact their tomorrow. Those people that are able to connect the dots. The wise person is someone who takes Jesus at his word, places their faith and trust in him, and goes all in. I'm all in, Jesus. Those are the ones who are establishing their life or building their house on a rock. Now, this is where the story kind of breaks down a little for us because in our culture today, if you buy a piece of property that's got a lot of rock, you're in trouble because you're going to have to go hire Wolfie to come in with his backloader and dig up all that rock before you can start pouring concrete and rebar, right, and, and to, to put the footings down, right? Back then, they didn't do it that way. The best thing that you could do was find something very solid like a rock and dig a foundation or build on the foundation of that rock. But the problem was that was very, very time-consuming and very labor-intensive. It took a long time, and it was usually more expensive. So Jesus' point is simply this. He's saying that, look, the wisest thing that you could do is to build your life on the foundation of my teaching. It's going to be harder initially. It's going to be more time-consuming initially. Your neighbors, your coworkers, maybe even some of your family might think you're crazy. But ultimately, in the long term, the person who listens to what I just said, as upside down, as countercultural as it is, and decides to begin living their life this way, even though it's harder up front, it pays off on the backside in the long run. It's more rewarding. So we're back to this question of putting our trust or our faith in uh, Jesus, the object of our faith. See, that, 
That's sort of the, the unspoken question that's implied at the end of Jesus' sermon when he tells that story about building the house on the rock or the sand. Ultimately, ultimately, it's a matter of trust. Jesus was asking his audience then, and he's asking us this morning, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will, will you live this way before you know what the outcome is on the backside? That's the question for you. That's the question for me every day. Not do we believe, but do we trust? Do we trust? And it's only when we express our trust in the real world that our faith intersects with God's faithfulness and we experience God in a powerful way. Then he illustrates the outcome for those mentioned in the story. Again, if you grew up in the church, you might remember this. He said, verse 25, and the rains came down, right? And the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Something that they all understood because occasionally there would be flash floods in that region of the world. And if you didn't have a good foundation, it was a total loss. Total loss. See, this, this was sometimes, sometimes the difference between life and death. It was sometimes the difference between surviving with something to show for it and surviving with nothing to show for it. Jesus continues, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish, everyone say foolish, foolish. man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell, and great, great was the fall of it. So don't miss what Jesus is saying here, because this is huge. He's basically saying, it's, this is kind of scary, really. What he's saying here, it's possible to hear, and it's possible to believe, and still live your life in a way that undermines your faith. In fact, those of you who might be here this morning, and you're not a Christian, or you used to be a Christian, but walked away at some point, Honestly, this is where we owe you an apology because one of the reasons that you might have given up on Christianity or maybe one of the reasons why you never considered Christianity, it's not that you just don't believe it, it's that you don't believe we believe it, do you? Because what we say and what we do doesn't always line up. And what do you call people like that? Hypocrites, hypocrites, right? Because you've heard all that we say about God and the Bible and Jesus, and then you look at the way that we actually live our lives and the way that we treat people. And the reason you're not more open to believing what we believe is because you're not really convinced we believe it. And sometimes the discrepancy, the distance, the gap between what we say we believe and what we do, sometimes that leaves you wondering, who in the world would be interested in that kind of a faith system? And you know what? You're not wrong. Seriously, you're not wrong. But here's what I would say to you. Ignore us. Ignore all of us flaky Christians for a moment. And read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at least consider following Jesus. Because, because our inability or our unwillingness to move beyond belief to practical application in the real world in no way undermines the reality of God's love for you and his invitation for you to follow him. But I get it. I get it. Because if you don't live out what you say, why in the world would you find that belief system appealing at all? You need to picture your faith kind of like a, a muscle. And if you don't exercise it, it weakens and it degenerates. And the way that we exercise our faith is not by believing things, 
but by stepping out and doing things and giving God the opportunity to let our faith intersect with his faithfulness. And when we do that, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. It is a game changer. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, I mean, you know, they're here every Sunday. They just don't do anything with it. They feel convicted. Maybe they wrote it down. They even memorized some of it. But they never did anything with it. Jesus says it's like a foolish person, a foolish man or woman who built their house on the sand. It was quick, and it was easy, and it was convenient. They listened. They maybe even agreed and believed with it, but they just didn't do anything with it because, well, it's too hard, didn't have the time, it's too expensive. You didn't find it very practical. And the rains came, and the wind came, And the streams rose, and that house fell with a great crash. Do you know how people who listen and believe but don't respond do when the storms come? They either blame God or they conclude there is no God. And you know why they blame God or conclude there's no God? It's because their faith is too fragile and weak to help them navigate that successfully and help them take their next step. Jesus concludes, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When your obedience, your faith, intersects with God's faithfulness, your faith gets bigger. That's why ultimately following Jesus will make your life better and it will make you better, not at believing, it will make you better at life. And we'll pick up here next week. So so here's your homework, similar to last week. Sometime between now and next Sunday, I want you to answer these three questions. Question number one, if you grew up attending church, what was emphasized in the church that you grew up in? If you grew up attending church, you know, just kind of think back. What, what, what was emphasized in that church to your recollection? Well, you know, was it information? Was it correct theology, making sure, you know, you had the right kind of Bible? Uh, was, it, was it sacraments? Was it communion, uh, baptism? Uh, was it Sunday school? Maybe it was attendance. As you think back on your church experiences growing up, what do you recall being emphasized? Second question, have you ever applied a specific teaching of Jesus and then looking back, it prepared you for an unexpected storm? Have you ever applied a a specific teaching and then encountered a situation and you look back and say, man, oh, I see how this connects now. And then third question, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. So can you think of an area in your life right now where a bit more application might make a big difference? All right, be honest, be honest with yourself, be honest with God when you answer all three of those, but especially that last one. One thing that will ignite and help grow your faith is practical teaching. Being able to hear and understand the word in a way that you can actually apply it. But remember, remember, God's word doesn't become practical until we actually do it. Or in the words of Jesus, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them, Because when our faith intersects with God's faithfulness, that's when our faith really begins to get traction and grow. So let's not simply be believers, let's be doers. Let me pray for you. Bow your heads, would you?
I want to first address those of you here who maybe you consider yourselves to be a, a Jesus follower. You're, you're, you're a person of faith. Whatever level of faith you might have right now, I pray that, that you would be willing to continue to trust Jesus throughout each day. And as you continue to face those opportunities, encounter those opportunities for your faith to intersect with God's faithfulness, as you trust him, I pray that you would be encouraged as your faith continues to grow and develop. Because it will. It will. And for those of you who uh, you're here now and you, do, you either don't consider yourself to be a person of faith or maybe you used to be a person of faith but you met too many flaky Christians that, that talked one way and acted another way. And that gap between what they said and what they did was just, it was, it was too much for you to handle and so you just chucked it and walked away. All right. Or maybe you encountered your own traumatic situation or circumstance that made it difficult for you to reconcile with a loving, caring, compassionate God. Maybe it was the loss of a, a loved one, a spouse, a parent, perhaps a child. Maybe it was the loss of a marriage. Something so traumatic it was beyond your capacity of faith to navigate successfully. So you walked away from God. That's you, I would, I would encourage you to give Jesus a chance or give him another chance. Not the Jesus you learned about in growing up in church, but the Jesus that you read about in the New Testament. The Jesus who didn't just say, believe in me, but the Jesus who also said, follow me. If that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer of salvation where you can get connected or reconnected with God, the same God who lets you call him Heavenly Father. So if that's you, if you would just pray this simple prayer with me. There's nothing magic in the words. It's just, it's believing in your heart what you're about to pray. If you just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you rose from the dead for me, for my sins. And right now I surrender my heart, my life to you, Jesus. And in return, I receive your life. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And from this day forward, help me to begin living my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.